Let's pray together the prayer for illumination printed in the bulletin. May tongues of fire settle upon us, wakening us to your living word. Amen. This morning's scripture lesson is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's on page 31 in the New Testament section of your pew Bible. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, Why? Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, O God, and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. This story, so well told by Miss Sandy and read by Mr. Hetzel, is one of my favorites, and it must have been one of the favorites among the early church because it is included in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, and Luke's Gospel. Now, in most miracle stories, Um, In the Gospels, it is a desperate individual who takes initiative to receive the healing power of Jesus. The man with leprosy, a blind man on the side of the road, the hemorrhaging woman who reached out through the crowd to grasp the hem of the garment of Jesus. Those are just a few. But in today's miracle story, it is not an individual seeking healing on his own. 
It's a group effort. A collection of four friends take bold initiative on behalf of their paralyzed friend. The four friends' compassion and back-breaking faith is what drives this story. And it was their compassion and their back-breaking faith that moved Jesus to heal him. The four men had heard of Jesus' teachings and healings throughout the countryside, and they also had heard that he had returned home, and their plan was to carry their friend to him. But the house was crowded, was overflowing. There was no way to get to Jesus, but their compassionate desperation outweighed the obstacles. Undeterred by the crowd, they went to the roof, they dug up the sod, they made a hole large enough to lower their friend at the feet of Jesus. And standing around him, the man on the stretcher, was both Jesus and the religious leaders. And the ones who these ones had been working to ensnare Jesus with their rhetorical questions and accusations of blasphemy... I imagine Jesus openly pondering the length to which these friends had gone to deliver him, to deliver the man at his feet. And I imagine the religious leaders were not impressed with Jesus' engagement with these men. The authentic compassion and the faith that they had revealed moved Jesus to have compassion on them. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic child, your friends, your sins are forgiven. Stand up, take up your mat, and go home. And after a little conversation with the religious leaders, he stood up and immediately took his mat and went before all of them. And they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So the healing not only restored the man's body, the healing restored him back into the community. Now this story challenges the individualism that permeates American Protestant Christianity. This story is a full-court press against the notion that Christianity is a private, personalized, and individualized religion. And perhaps you too grew up in a tradition that wanted you to give the date and time of your conversion. Anyone? Yeah. This story tells us that faith is about community. The body, as Paul calls it, the body carrying one another through times of doubt or despair. And we have to borrow one another's faith now and again because our own spiritual cupboards occasionally are empty. And in doing so, we give witness to God's compassion and God's love. A compassion is the defining mark of God in the Hebrew Bible, going back. Hebrew Bible scholar Phyllis Tribble skillfully linked the Hebrew word for compassion to the Hebrew word for womb. 
God's compassion for all people is related to womb-like love of a woman. Isn't that great? Brilliance like that is what happens when women get access to arenas they were once reserved for only men. Amen? Compassion is the defining mark of Jesus. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him from Mark 1. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them, Mark 6. He said, I have compassion for the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat, from Mark 8. Jesus was moved by the suffering of lepers, the hungry, the blind, those in poverty, and sick children. Jesus feels with, has empathy, or suffers with, has compassion for the hurting. Jesus was always moved to compassion for those who, with genuineness, sought his healing. You see, Jesus never turns away an authentically searching soul. So the defining mark of God is compassion. The defining mark of Jesus is compassion. And the defining mark of a community of faith is to enact, to embody compassion. The word for compassion in Greek is linked to the physical body. In fact, the Greek word for compassion is connected to the body's innards, the entrails, the gut, may I say bowels, in church. I'm on? Oh, I am. Okay. Bowels. (laughs) Compassion is connected to the body's entrails or the gut. That's, the gut is where they believed, the Greeks believed, um, the gut was where the seat of suffering or or empathy came from. Now, we might say, and it's often said, I feel sick to my stomach. When I see someone else's suffering in our gut, it is from there that we move out of love to alleviate another person's suffering. And we've all heard someone say, or we ourselves have said, if it wasn't for the support of my friends or my family or my church, I would not have made it through whatever trial they had gone through, whether it was an illness or the death of a loved one or struggles with a child or divorce or loss of a job or just loneliness. Whatever the trial, the faith of the community was their mat and it carried them through. And on the mat, we will each take our turn. In our own particular ver- version of suffering. 
Now, faith communities are to model what I like to call shared vulnerability. Well, Brene Brown likes to talk about shared vulnerability, but we will echo Brene Brown. Communities are to model shared vulnerability. That's why we have boxes of Kleenex along the pews there. Do you see those? We, we know people cry in this space. We know that tears flow easily here, and that's good. I want to have a sign outside that said, vul- says vulnerability accepted here. Shared vulnerability is not only a value, it's a practice. It's a safe place. Irish poet Seamus Haney wrote the poem Miracle in his collection titled Human Chain. The poem is pondering the healing of the paralytic in Mark 2 from the viewpoint of the faithful friends. And Haney wrote this poem after he himself had suffered a stroke in 2005. And here's the poem, Miracle. Not the one who takes up his bed and walks, but the ones who have known him all along and carry him in, their shoulders numb, the ache and stoop deep-locked in their backs, the stretcher handles slippery with sweat and no let-up, until he strapped on tight, made it tiltable, and raised to the tile roof, then lowered for healing. Be mindful of them as they stand and wait for the burn of the paid-out ropes to cool, their slight lightheadedness and incredulity to pass those who had known him. All along. Haney beautifully paints the picture of our need for interdependence to enact healing. We are wired for relationships, and we might need connection more than ever these days. We are more connected through technology, that's true, but we seem to be lonelier and more isolated because of it. The U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, in his wisdom and his intelligence, has declared loneliness a public health crisis. And he speaks passionately about loneliness and its devastating impacts on our mental and physical health, especially upon our children and youth and older adults. And it's not only in the U.S. The British Parliament appointed a Minister of Loneliness in 2018. So five years ago, pre-COVID. And studies are revealing that post-quarantine loneliness and isolation are growing. So what's the church's role in this? What is ours to do? I think about this a lot. And the church may not be able to fix the maladies that arise from loneliness, but there is something all religious communities can do and should do to prevent or alleviate it. This is when it's good to be religious and not just spiritual. Organized religion, assuming we're organized, 
organized religion has social structures in place to foster belonging and friendships and connection. We know how to fellowship. We have the social fabric in place for people to gather together. We know how to eat together, join in the picnic after church. We pray together. We play together, sing together, cry together, and march together. We can lessen loneliness by fostering genuine connection within our congregations. We also have ancient spiritual practices that have lasted the test of time to enhance loving kindness and resiliency and strength within us. And our children and youth need them. Our vocation is not to attend only to personal faith. Our vocation as a community of faith is to attend to the health and wholeness of one another, both in addressing pain and celebrating together when there's a cause to celebrate. The American values of independence and self-sufficiency are not our values. Our values are love and generosity and sharing and kindness. And when a person faces a crisis, as did Seamus Haney, the last thing that one one needs is to be left alone, to go it alone. The miracle Haney was getting out in this poem, I believe, is not the healing of the man who gets up and walks. The miracle is the sacrificial, embodied, gut compassion and back-breaking faith of the ones who knew him all along, and they carried him to the healing he needed. And after he got up, they gave thanks to God for together. Amen.